0: so here we are Andy yeah how are you doing fantastic
1: mate I have had a busy morning chasing around toddlers trying to get them dressed ready for daycare um, but she's in school now which is good um, and when I say school I mean daycare um, yeah everything's going good my end I've in train... I'm on like week nine of my training cycle. I've been pretty adherent. I've only actually missed two sessions. That was due to my food poisoning, feeling great actually following through. Uh, and this reminds me actually like oftentimes like we get so focused on like the scale because I know for me, I I kind of wish the scale had gone down a little more. Mm. But overall, I'm fucking super happy that I I've been showing up for myself. I've been training regularly and the way I feel from doing that is i feel great basically you know i feel good about the fact that i've been following through for myself and overall like in terms of energy in terms of like my physique i feel good and i'm looking i'm looking pretty jacked so uh yeah
0: everything's good my end mate let's go i know, yeah dude i've yeah, noticed dude. you've been getting jacked bro i i have been seeing your garage gym training vids on the gram on your stories. If you guys aren't following coach taters, go follow him right now. Cause he's killing it. And I, I love those garage gym workouts too, because it just reminds me that you don't need a bunch of fancy shit to build muscle. Like as much as that shit is nice, like having access to all the equipment, you don't need all that to build muscle and the, you know, the basics will get you there.
1: Exactly. And we're actually going to talk about this a little bit more on the podcast. So I could go real deep right now, but, um, yeah, let's save it until a little bit later, but totally. I'm having fun, you know, I'm just doing the basics and it's working, you know what I mean? Just turning up consistently
0: and it's doing great. How about yourself, mate? I am, I'm doing good, man. The lean bulk is going along swimmingly dealing with some body dysmorphia, of course, Um, I'm, I think I'm like five weeks in now and up about, I think I'm up about like one and a half pounds or something. So I've been, I've been pretty consistently gaining about half a pound per week and strength is going up even though I'm not really like the part of the program that I'm on right now is not really focused on, um going as hard as i can but i'm really really interested once this like meso cycle starts to get more intense and i start to come near that you know a higher intensity i'm interested to see how quickly my strength goes up because i am still making gains but it's it's not like like it was um when i was following a super intense program so we'll see man right. i'm feeling good energy levels are good um digestion you also maybe
1: lacking a little bit of sleep now do you think because of the puppy
0: yeah the puppy's been definitely affecting my sleep a little bit um still still like seven hours but i i always do best when i'm sleeping like a solid eight or nine but seven hours is fucking good enough it's good enough and Yeah, it's not like, you know, I don't feel like optimal or whatever. But like compared to you, bro, I see you smiling over there. You're like, motherfucker, dude. dude, You can never
1: say to a parent like, yeah, you could just never you never. Seven hours.
0: Seven hours is really rough right now. (laughs) I wish I had seven (laughs) hours. But yeah, man, things are going well. The puppy's doing well he's train he's training and he's learning really really well how to like you know i'm tra- i'm treat i'm training him on how to follow commands how to settle how to sit how to shake how to go in his pen when it's time to go in his pen you know always focusing on positive reinforcement i've actually never trained a puppy so i'm learning from a friend of mine who it's very similar to like like coaching you know you want to like look at the positives, give them positive things to focus on. Positive reinforcement is always the way to go when it comes to coaching. And, you know, obviously there's stuff to work on. You need to address that stuff too, but helping your client see those wins, helping your clients see those, that positives is probably where we come in as coaches pretty, pretty importantly. And I think it's important for us to point those out. So it's very similar to that where I'm like, training a puppy, I'm telling it, you know, good job. Yeah, you're doing great. Like, you know, it's just a lot of that. And I notice he responds really, really well to that. And when I, when I start to get back into the negative reinforcement of like, no, stop it, leave it, things like that, he doesn't listen, and he starts to get even more pissed off, or like even more crazy. So it's, it's kind of like a a lesson for life having this puppy for me. So it's pretty cool.
1: Hmm. Maybe I need to adopt some of those tactics with Olivia.
0: <laughs> it's like one, probably like one, one hundredth of a toddler, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good life lesson. If I ever do have a kid, I think I'll, you know, definitely have some of those lessons that I learned with the puppy and apply it.
1: Yeah. No, I've heard from other people. It's still hard. You know, parents that have got, had kids and have a puppy and there's like, no, it's still difficult. So mm. good to what know. About I'll Austin? Take that. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the thing, things have been going really well. You know, just pumping out content, just staying busy. Uh, workouts have been kind of dragging ass a little bit, but, you know, just getting through it because I know I am in a deficit. I'm not trying to push for a lot of weight or anything. I'm just literally just training enough so that I can maintain muscle. And the deficit is going pretty well. Like, honestly, I think the hardest part of it was just getting through that first week, like really dialing things back because you're just not used to eating less food. But once you kind of get in the zone once you figure out a schedule to stay busy and that's the most important thing like not like getting lazy and like start thinking about food just like staying busy and like keeping on schedule and keeping on point with everything um and I don't feel like I need to like be super restrictive or anything like um for you American listeners we had the Super Bowl weekend this past weekend and like yeah. I didn't feel like I had to like skip out on that or like severely restrict myself I just Ate what I
0: ate, and I moved on. Did you guys have any clients who like gained a considerable amount of weight after the Super Bowl? Like you looked at their tracking sheet, and it was like probably like three to five pounds heavier after the Super Bowl. Because mm-hmm. yeah, I, th-
2: I, it was either that or I had like clients <laughs> were like, yeah, I'm like just, just don't track, just don't plug it in. <laughs>
0: yeah, because I had, I had like four clients i look because i i thought it was interesting so i had four clients who were up like three to five pounds the day after the super bowl <laughs> and i was like i was like yup that's common that's common right because even and mm-hmm. uh, you know all of them were female clients and it's like i know they aren't football fans but most likely they were bored watching the football with their significant other or whoever at a Super Bowl party or something, bored, and what do we do when we're bored, right? We just mindlessly snack or eat, and there's junk food in front of us, you know, if you want to call it junk food, but, you know, a lot of, like, nachos and wings and pizza and chips. Chips are are definitely, like, my downfall. If there's just a bowl of chips sitting somewhere, it's like I'm just going to be crunching on those constantly, you know, so... I definitely had some clients who were up like three to five pounds, and definitely not fat. Definitely more water weight, sodium, you know, glycogen, things like that. But I had to still like reiterate, like, hey, just because you went a little extra on the Super Bowl, it doesn't mean that you gain fat the next day. So just get back on track, and that water weight will come down. Yeah, hundred
1: percent. There's actually a word in the UK for when a food is so good. And you keep going back for more of it, like chips, right? Uh Mm -hmm. It's called Moorish. Moorish? Moorish. Moorish. So if there's a certain food that it's like you keep, it's hard to stop eating, you say, oh yeah, they're so nice. They're very (laughs) Moorish.
0: That's good to know, dude. All right. So we need to have like a segment on the podcast that's just like Coach Taters like uk slang like there's
2: uh word of the day yeah that's
0: right what's word of the day moorish what's a whiz khalifa
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's got nothing to do with that's got nothing to do with the uk that's just that's just a coach taterism i suppose so
0: (laughs) I <laughs> mean, going for a cheeky little whisk leaf, mate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's funny. All right. So shall we get into it? I mean, we talked a little bit about it, me and Coach Taters. But so, yeah, we kind of want to talk about like, f- you know, free weights versus machines and which ones are better for building muscle. You know, which one which one is going to help you build more muscle. And obviously, you know, we talked about it earlier. The basics will still get you there as long as you have good training philosophies in place and good intensity in place. But um, I myself was always told when I first started lifting that free weights, barbells, dumbbells actually help you build more muscle because you use these stabilizers to stabilize yourself and stabilize the weight. But as I've dove deeper into hypertrophy training and learned about muscle growth and learned about the real science behind it, the more stable you are, the better you are able to target the muscle that you're trying to target and grow. So for example, something like a barbell back squat, if you were using that to train your glutes, there are better movements to train the glutes there are more efficient there are more efficient movements to train the glutes so that's kind of what i've been learning but um but i want to hear your guys' thoughts on it um i'll take this over to our hypertrophy correspondent Austin Chan Austin <laughs> it's on you what do you think all right
2: yeah you know um uh, actually before we talk about like i was thinking like we should all have like a little titles for like <laughs> each like specialty in the group <laughs> or something that'd be hilarious yeah, but um, yeah that uh that I was also told that too when I first got into lifting. You know, free weights are better than machines because they work or stabilize your stabilizer muscles, and the more muscles, quote unquote, you can activate, which means that you'll get a better hypertrophy response. Um, and now the more that we know about this, this is simply not true. Um, just because of the fact that if you ask these people what what are these stabilizing muscles, they probably can't name it because the same muscles that stabilize the movement are going to be the same muscles that perform the movement. Mm. So let's say a barbell back squat, like you're, it's mostly going to work your quads and glutes. And these muscles aren't like, they don't have like a specific part, like your, of your quads and glutes that do stabilization. That muscle either provides, or is very good at providing stability or it's very good at producing force. Um, and so when you're doing like a barbell back squat, you're getting a combination of both, obviously. Um, so what, when you use machines, this actually provides a lot of the stability for you. Like, if you think about it, like you're strapped on and into to a machine, you don't have to be doing a lot of the balancing, like, like let's say a hack squat or leg press, for example, you don't have to do a lot of the stabilization. So all you can focus on is just producing force or pushing as much weight as you can. And this is exactly why you can do a lot more weight using a machine versus a free weight movement. And also something else that I find that helps a lot with machines is that it allows you to train movement patterns that sometimes free weights aren't able to get you into just because due to whether that's due to the movement itself or whether it's due to the way that you, your body structures are built. Cause obviously like you can take, like I, I can take Jeff, I can take Andy through a barbell back squat, but though, like between the both of you, the barbell back squat is going to look completely different. So like in terms of that, like, it, for, for example, I want to say, cause we're doing this like an audio platform, like if, when you see like Olympic weightlifters, you'll see that they have like a beautiful squat, like, you know, the perfect squat that you'll see all over social media, you know, the knees come right over the toes and they're sitting in this super upright position. They're basically sitting, like sitting upright with their chest really high. Whereas if I tried to do that, I could not simply do that. And that's because like of my femurs, which is your, your thigh bone, it's just way too long compared to the other proportions of my body. So I fold over like a pancake. Yeah. So, yeah. And then if we kind of take, take this back to anatomy and physiology, if you get a lot of lean, like lean forward and you push your hips back a lot, as a result of that, you're not going to get as much quads out of your barbell, out of my barbell back squat versus like an Olympic weightlifter, they can get a lot of quads because they're able to really sit down into it and push their knees forward. Whereas like I can't sit as much deep into it. And so my barbell back squat is going to target more of the glutes. And if, and specifically if your goal is to grow your quads, then just simply doing a barbell back squat is not going to be super effective for that.
0: How can we alter the barbell back squat to make it more quad dominant? Right, like, like obviously, we can change our foot position and we can raise our we can elevate our heels, we can uh really, really focus on bringing those knees over the toes and things like that. so there are ways to like alter the barbell back squat to make it more quad dominant and to focus on the cues of trying to stay more upright, correct,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, so heel elevation is probably gonna be like the quickest fix for a lot of people. Uh, because for a lot of people think like, depending on your structure, it can really affect your ankle mobility. And this is like, you can only do so much to work on your ankle mobility. And this can help a lot of people and upset. I'm not saying that, you know, ditch ankle mobility, it's like a waste of time, but it can definitely help a lot of people, but the amount of ankle mobility you get just through stretching and a lot of stuff, isn't going to help as much as like completely elevating your heels. And so getting a pair of wedges, um, that's one of the best investments I've made, honestly. And when you elevate the heels, basically, like if we want to talk about the the scientific, like, or take out all the scientific stuff, it just basically allows you to kind of um, bypass the need for more ankle mobility. It kind of changes your structures in a sense so that you can drag those knees forward more compared to if you're just doing it flat footed.
1: Why would people use a wedge as opposed to a weightlifting shoe? So
2: wedges um actually you can get more heel elevation because most squat shoes are like you it raises your heel by like an inch whereas like wedges you can get them at different degrees you can elevate them more or less depending on what your structures need
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it's interesting that you talked about the femur because i was going to bring that up because i i think i have a longer femur just because barbell back squats i fold over so quickly And I've done, I, in the past, I, you know, I was more into powerlifting, and I really, really focused on my mobility, you know, my ankle mobility, my hip mobility. I like, no matter how much mobility work I did, no matter how much stretching I did, no matter what cues I used, it was so hard for me to stay more upright in the squat. And in that bottom position, I would just fold over. And I realized once I started getting into hypertrophy and looking into this more that I do have longer femurs and that, uh, the heel elevation really, really worked for me when it came to kind of putting my body in a more optimal position to focus on strength and and include some quads in that movement. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad you brought that up.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I'll actually kind of like steal this uh, quote from Eugene Teal, And so he said like, A lot of people will argue that, oh, you know, free weights are better than machines because uh, machines will take you out of your natural movement mechanics. And so people automatically think this is bad just because something is unnatural. But let's say like you're just not built for a lot of to get a lot of knee flexion to get that stretch and target the quads like that. That's just a simple fact like you that's the hand you've been dealt. You just have shitty mechanics to target your quads. So the answer isn't necessarily to just keep doing more of the same thing, because if you're natural mechanics just suck for building the quads and you want to build the quads, then you might need to change your mechanics a bit by using tools like machines or wedges or whatever have you to change those, your natural, take you out of your quote natural mechanics to get more out of the movement to help you get to your ultimate goal.
0: Hmm. If somebody has a really, really strong leg press and you're looking at their leg press numbers, let's say it's a client, for example, and they're able to do, I don't know, 400 pounds, 405 on the leg press for 10 to 12 reps. But then you look at their barbell back squat and it's like, you know, 185. It's like, you know, half that. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think, is that simply just because you're in a more stable position and it's more you're getting obviously a lot more isolation on the target muscle group. Is that, is that simply the only reason, or is it because there are issues with the barbell back squat that need to be addressed?
2: I'd say it's going to be purely from like the stability aspect and also what muscles is targeting. Like you said, because if you think about a leg press, you're pretty much just strapped into the machine and it's pretty much pure movement from your legs. You don't have to, Uh, versus like a barbell back squat you have to stabilize a lot with your upper back your lower back um just everything else holding that bar into place so that obviously that's going to take a lot of energy so you can't lift as much weight and yeah whereas the leg press is just purely like you're taking your legs through that range of motion and it's purely targeting that you don't really need to brace all that much with your core you don't really have to hold the like a bar or a bunch of weight stable on top of your body Um, and also a lot of people will say look like Uh, it's it's just a total ego thing honestly when people want to compare numbers like if your unless your sport is like a barbell based sport where you need to keep track of these numbers then that's important but if you really think about it like what like what value does having a large back squat or having a large leg press place on you like as a person it's like nothing really it Mm -hmm. just really depends on your goals and using those numbers as a metric of like let's say you do want to get better at a back squat using those numbers to compare yourself. If you're getting better and progressing at that movement, or if you don't really want to squat, but you do want to build your legs using that as a measurement of progress to see if your program's working, if you're making progress and you're building your leg muscles.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a good point, man. And uh, Andy, I know you used to do, you know, Olympic lifting, And a lot more, a lot more of that style of lifting compound movements and things like that. Um, So have you noticed from a like recovery aspect or from a muscle growth aspect, like when you, is there a big difference when you train using machines versus free weights? Um, Do you have a preference? Like, what do you, what do you recommend?
1: Well, I've got quite a few opinions on this actually. And I I do agree with what both of you guys have said. I think that for the vast majority of people, if their goal is to grow muscle, then they can grow muscle probably much better using the machines in the gym as opposed to barbells and such. That doesn't mean you can't grow muscle using a barbell. It's just, it would probably be a bit more optimal, especially if you're built a certain way to use a machine where you can really target that specific muscle a bit better. If you're trying to increase your back squat, doing leg extensions, probably won't help that much, for example, right. But if you're trying to grow your quads, you're probably going to build your quads really well on a leg extension, and maybe not quite so well if especially if you're not built for a back squat, by doing barbell squats. And if you factor in the fatigue, the stimulus to fatigue ratio, like imagine going to failure on a set of back squats for a set of 10 in comparison to a leg extension, you're going to be absolutely fries and Minnelli after doing <laughs> back squats.
2: <laughs> Is that another word of the day?
1: <laughs> That's another word of the day. Yeah. Fries <laughs> and Minnelli to be absolutely that. frazzled. Um, <laughs> You Mm -hmm. catch my drift. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. you will be like exhausted. Yeah. If you do a set of, if you go to failure on a set of back squats, not just, I mean, local fatigue, but I mean, systemic fatigue, like your central nervous system is you going to be like zonked. Mm -hmm. But if you go to a failure on a set of leg extension, you're like, all right, what next? You know what I mean? Not exactly, but you you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I think that, it's just both are tools to help you and one thing that i've thought of recently because i i see the fitness industry moving kind of in this direction a little bit i don't know if it's because it's who i follow on instagram and i'm trying to learn a bit more about this but we also can't let us go down the path of paralysis by analysis as well and i know i can be way I can do let this happen to myself. Like, oh, you know, I don't have access to a hack squat, so I just can't train my legs. Can't (laughs) grow my legs (laughs)
2: I've
1: got fucking barbells, dumbbells, anything in the wall behind me, basically, and like I've got enough bar. But if you only have access to barbells, dumbbells, you just have to make do, you know. And so if that means you get a heel elevation, so you can target the quads a little more, then that's what you do. Um, And so if you don't have access to machines, it's just another tool that you can use. The other thing that I think about is, do you like the powerlifting style movements? Okay, maybe your main goal is to grow muscle, but do you like to do deadlifts? Because deadlifts, in all cases considered, like they're not a fantastic exercise to build muscle once you're at a certain level. Right. Once you're at a certain level, you have to lift a certain amount of weight. Very taxing on the central nervous system. Doesn't really specifically target one muscle. You know, it's like uses a lot of your body. And so it's not a great optimal muscle building exercise, really. But if you enjoy doing deadlifts, then fucking put deadlifts in your program and turn yeah. up to the gym and do some deadlifts before moving on to something else. So that's kind of what my philosophy is like okay, there's optimal. And then there's preference as well. And it's about tying those two together. It's like, it goes back to, you know, macros. There's optimal macros to get you to your goal to a certain degree. But what's the point if it's not based on your preference as well?
0: Ooh, mic drop, mic drop. Yeah, <laughs> I love that, man. That's I like how you brought in the stimulus fatigue ratio as well because that's something that uh, Dr. Mike Isretel really, really hammers home is he talks about how certain exercises they're basically high, either high stimulus fatigue ratio or low stimulus fatigue ratio. And, and deadlifts would be an example of one that's a high stimulus fatigue ratio. Um, but that doesn't mean it's a bad exercise. It doesn't mean it's a bad movement. It doesn't mean it doesn't belong in your programming. If you enjoy it, like Andy said, so I I love that you brought that up because if deadlifts are what gets you excited to go to the gym and go train and you're, you know, you love picking up heavy shit off the ground then fucking put it in your programming, you know, because ultimately, like, what's fun for one person is not going to be fun for another person. Like, there was a point in my in my life when I loved sumo deadlifting, absolutely loved it. Now, if someone put it sumo deadlifts in my program, I'd be like, fuck, that's gonna <laughs> yeah. take I'm 33, bro. That's gonna take me so long to recover from you know, like yeah. I'm going to feel that tomorrow. And like, you know, I'm probably not going to want to train two days from now. So mm-hmm. and I know that about myself. So now i like to choose things that are lower stimulus fatigue ratio. If I'm really trying to target the glutes or I'm trying to target, you know, different muscles, picking things that are a little bit more isolated uh, and target the, the musculature uh, with a lower stimulus fatigue is, is kind of the way that I train now. But that's just because I'm more looking at longevity. And I find actually, I find low stimulus fatigue training. I, f- I find that actually fun because it's like more of a meditation. I can really get in the zone every single set. I can push myself as hard as humanly possible, really test my limits. And uh, to me, that's fun, but that may not be fun for everyone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I actually wanted to interrupt real quick. Can we? Uh, define what stimulus to fatigue ratio is for anyone who might not know what that means who's listening
0: yeah so it's basically the amount of muscle building adaptations that an exercise can give you when it when it also is relative to the amount of fatigue that it causes you so if if an exercise is has a high stimulus fatigue ratio that means that it would be harder for you to recover from and if it has a low stimulus fatigue ratio it'd be less hard for you to recover from so that's that's kind of and some examples of that obviously a high stimulus fatigue ratio would be a deadlift a low stimulus fatigue ratio would be something like a leg extension like andy's talked about so yeah yeah so i think it's good to
1: figure out what you enjoy and, and sprinkle those in you know
0: mm-hmm. yeah. yeah
2: and I, I i totally love that point because a lot of people and including myself sometimes we kind of get down this like spiral of like oh we need to do what's optimal we need to do what's best when really like if we start to chase down the rabbit hole then like then we start to have to feel like we build our entire lives around fitness when like for a lot of us we just want fitness to enhance our lives not really to like our like even though our main job might be fitness coaches we still want a lot of like flexibility to enjoy life and do other things that might not be so conducive towards like building more muscle or losing more fat or whatever yeah yeah
1: it kind of becomes your it become like this is our job as well to a certain degree now you know we talk about it all the time and obviously it's like our passion but yes it's like you can let it consume your life, but it should, like you say, enhance your life. Yeah, I like that
0: point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really, I really like having, like, not attaching my identity to the style of lifting or training that I'm doing. Like at one point, I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm gonna call myself a powerlifter." Oh, at one point, I'm gonna call myself, you know, a CrossFitter. Oh, at one point, I'm gonna call myself a bodybuilder. Like, I just like lifting weights, you know. So if If I can just like attach myself to that, like I'm just somebody who likes to lift. And at any given time, like I may be doing those free weight movements, barbell movements, dumbbell movements, because I fucking enjoy them. Or I may be doing something a little bit more optimal for hypertrophy. It really just depends what style of programming I'm following at the current moment. And I do find that as I get older, I don't really enjoy as many barbell movements and I don't enjoy those high stimulus fatigue ratio movements but that doesn't mean that uh I won't get back into them later in life who knows maybe when I hit 40 I'm like yeah I want to I want to join a powerlifting meet you know I want to I want to compete in powerlifting I don't know I really don't mm-hmm. know I just know that uh I love training and I'm just doing what feels sustainable and what I know I'm going to be able to do for longevity so that's kind of I I I don't I think we don't need to attach ourselves so much to these labels.
1: Yeah, that's a tough one because we all like to identify with something, a certain group, I suppose. Especially more recently, you know, don't want to get political and such, but, you know, it's, it is the case, really. You know, we do like to identify with a certain thing, and it's always been the case for me, whereas, like, when I did boxing, I was like, oh, I'm a boxer, you know, mm-hmm. I do CrossFit, I'm a CrossFitter, Olympic weightlifter. I don't feel that way now with bodybuilding because I don't feel like I'm a bodybuilder, you know, because I've got no ambition for stepping on stage. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. like I'm just rec It's recreational, you know, it's self-development. Like I like the idea of what is it in my life that I can improve and let's just try and improve. If that makes sense. It's like, we have, Us three, we have an online business where we coach, right? And it's about how can we improve our content creation? How can we improve like working with our clients? How can we improve, you know, all aspects of our business? How can we improve our own training? How can we improve... How can we add in some like cardio? Can we get more steps in, you know, of course within reason can't be doing ridiculous amount of steps every day, but like just small improvements every single day in different aspects of your life. How can I be a better dad? How can I not lose my shit with my daughter when she's not getting dressed? She's hiding under the bloody couch, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, how can, it's just how, how can you be a lifelong learner? And that's what I love about like bodybuilding And weightlifting or weight training in general it's like it's another avenue to go down to just be a better person you know Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people when they get into it it's like they miss that aspect of it and they just like they just want to look like someone on instagram you know some guy with amazing genetics that's like off his tits on steroids or something Mm -hmm. you know it's like yeah i'd like to look like that too but let's just fucking focus on getting a little bit better than we were last time. And sometimes that's not even physique related. It's just, you know, anyway, a mm-hmm. bit of a rant, but no, I like you it. guys know what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then
2: something that, um, that just popped in my head is like, it's this all or nothing mentality that people get it. They think they have to like really optimize everything. Like if, if I want to do something, I have to go all in. And it's like, no, you can put like, a good amount of effort in and you're going to see a lot of like return on results.
1: Yeah. And I know that I've told you guys a a couple of times recently, it's like some of the people that go all in that I've seen are some of the people that go all out at at the (laughs) first hurdle, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's like that it, it goes to show that you have to approach things with a different mindset. You know, you have to go in understanding that there's going to be times when shit is going to hit the fan you know, you're going to, things aren't going to go the way you want them to, but you got to show up regardless. And, you know, that's where it's like, you've got to learn to enjoy the journey and learn the process of weight training and becoming a, a recreational bodybuilder or whatever, but not identifying as one, <laughs> um, you know? Um, but yeah, I've seen it and it's it, it's like, it's frustrating to see because I see so many people, come all in all guns blazing. Yeah. I'm going to hit my macros perfect every day. And it's like, don't you need to do that, mate. It's like, no, I'm going to. And it's like, mm-hmm. then here comes the first hurdle. They miss one gram of fat and they're gone. Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? It's like, calm yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah, man. Make, make a post about how you don't need to be training seven days a week and watch how many comment, watch how many hate comments you get. Like I saw that, mate. Yeah. It's ridiculous, bro. Like how is that not common sense? that you don't need to be training in the gym seven days per week and if you are training in the gym seven days per week there's some serious problems going on serious serious problems and a few of those would be a sustainability right how long are you going to be able to (laughs) go to the fucking gym because let's let's break it down okay let's say every time you go to the gym you spend an hour there right That's not even factoring in commute time there and back. Most people have like, let's say a 20 minute commute to the gym would be a short commute for most people, right? So 20 minutes there and back every single day, an hour there, an hour and 40 minutes. And then you probably spend 10, 20 minutes just screwing off doing something else, right? Warming up, um, chatting on the phone, checking your Instagram, whatever, That's another 20 minutes. So that's two hours per day, every single day of the week. Who has that kind of time, dude? Who's got 14 hours per week to dedicate to their training? Like, and then on top of that, let's talk about recovery. Like, how are you going to be able to recover from your training if you're literally training every single day? Right. I've seen this a lot. Yeah. I've seen this a lot. Not necessarily
1: with like, The bodybuilding or strength training side of things but more so with the cardio hammering the cardio Mm. gotta burn calories gotta burn calories i've seen it more with that but i think it's more because that's where i've been as well myself to a certain degree um and i see people like they, th- they think they wear it as a badge of honor that they've been training seven days a week for however, min- for however long. But not only are they training at like 60 to 70% capacity because they're not recovered. So they're not even optimized their training even slightly. Forget about talking about whether you should use barbells or machines. Right. They're not even getting any bloody sleep, probably. <laughs> right. Yeah. But also, they're training because they're scared of getting fat probably Mm -hmm. they have probably have a bad relationship with food so they go to the gym so they can burn as many calories as possible you you see this is just a bad cycle and i I don't know if it's the same with the the reaction you got to your post because i I saw your post about working working out seven days a week and you know people are like hashtag no days off kind of thing and it's like this is this is not this is not good yeah this is not you know like i train four days a week i'm actually going to be dropping down to three days a week training yeah and you could still
0: make great results with three days a week if you if you have like the right kind of training program if you have like a well written training program and you're training hard enough and you're really pushing yourself and you're applying progressive overload and you're you know you're sleeping you're resting you know, you're getting adequate protein. It's it's gonna. You're still gonna get great gains even training three days a week. Some of the some of the best gains I've ever gotten were when I was training three days a week, and not when I was training six or seven days a week. Because I that was me as well in my 20s. I was like, oh, the gym's my new church. The gym's my new sanctuary. I'm gonna be up in this bitch seven days a week. You know, and and like I really, really, it was good though because I fell in love with the gym and I fell in love with training. Right. So there were some plus sides to it. And mm-hmm. he- here's the thing, the comment that I saw the most on that post, because I posted that on TikTok, and that's kind of where it really took off. But what, where it took off was, and this is the most comments I saw, was where people were saying, I'm in the gym because I'm dealing with demons. I'm in the gym seven days per week because I'm dealing with demons. And that shit made me a little sad, bro. Not because, like, we don't all go through shit. Of course, we all go through shit. But, like, thinking that the gym is needs to be, like, your therapy or thinking that, you know, it's just, like, that's not a good reason to be hammering in the cardio seven days per week or trying to burn all these calories seven days a week or going hard, fucking benching four times per week. You know, like, it's just stupid. And there's other ways that people need to be focusing on their mental health. If they're really going through some shit, I'm all for movement, you know, being some form of therapy, but it's not, it's not a replacement for therapy. Like, and there's a deeper topic. We don't need to get all into that, but I just thought it was interesting that that's where the youth and these teenagers, that's where their heads at. And that's why they're going to the gym seven days per week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's actually something I wanted
2: to go in on a little bit. But uh, we'll kind of like rewind that. I did want to go over like, so from like, we'll talk about it both from like a physiological and a psychological perspective. So for, like from a physiological perspective, when you train you, your body and your, yeah, your body in general just accrues a certain amount of fatigue because you're pushing your body at a certain level. So obviously it's going to get fatigued at some point. And if you want these adaptations from your strength training to like occur, then you have to let your body rest and recover and rebuild like contrary to what a lot of people think like muscle isn't built in the gym that's where you trigger the adaptation the the mechanisms and all that but it's going to be actually built when you are getting enough sleep when you are fueling your body enough on those rest days so doing more does not result in more results it's Mm. actually uh, like the resting like i forget where i heard this quote from but like they said bodybuilding is the sport of over recovery
0: hmm. Yeah,
1: I've got a question for you, Austin. This yeah. is kind of on the on this topic. But would it be correct in saying like, it's, it's not about how many days a week you go in, but it's about the amount of training volume do you do across the course of the week. So let's say you go three days a week, or five or six days a week you would want to do the same number of hard sets in that week regardless of however however many days you go in so if you're going to go in Mm -hmm. three days a week you might want to do a few more sets or you might those sessions might be a little longer than if you go in six days a week of course um of course you're not going to go in one day a week and just hammer the whole body to town and be there for like 10 hours but Mm -hmm. you know like being smart with it would that be
2: um would that be correct in thinking that? Um. So I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with that. So th- technically, yes, you can split volume across the week. Like as long as volume is weighted, you're gonna see similar amounts of muscle growth and all that. Uh, people like to say that. But I think one of the most overrated like training splits is like your push pull legs program, like twice a week, which comes out to like six times a week. And uh, yes, technically you can still make good a good amount of gains. Like if you split your volume up. Or if you hammer it out like three to four times a week, but the thing is, like even like just simply going to the gym and still training hard, you are creating a certain amount of fatigue. And if you don't give your body enough rest days, then it's not going to have the time to actually adapt to the stimulus that you're doing. Yeah, does that answer your question? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> straight up no.
1: No, it did kind of, but. Mm-hmm. I think um, the emphasis you were coming from was more on um, training across six days a week. But I guess mm-hmm. my question was more from a programming perspective and okay, forget the six days a week mm-hmm. situation. Think if we're going to be training someone three days a week in comparison to five days a week. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not, we're not going there on a crazy amount. It's just three or five days a week. So then are we trying to accrue the the same amount of volume across each muscle group, whether we're going three days a week or five days a week?
2: Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's going to depend on the individual. Like, obviously, someone who needs a little bit more volume is going to, like, require that amount of volume to stimulate those adaptations. And so you can do that in three days a week or five days a week. Yeah, but either way,
1: like, let's say someone takes for example 15 sets per week to grow to see progression in their quads Mm -hmm. for example those 15 sets per week divided by three sessions or five sessions that's how it would kind of be done right yeah of course it wouldn't be done necessarily like that because Mm -hmm. you wouldn't do quads every time you go to the gym but it would be divvied across those sessions Mm -hmm. um So, then I've got another follow up question on that. And forgive me if this is not exactly on topic, but how do you assess how much volume someone might need? Because, yeah, because I've understood it's my understanding that generally females need a little bit more volume. And, you know, some people with slower, generally more slower twitch muscle fibers need a little bit more volume as well to get a similar stimulus. How do you go about assessing assessing that and then adding that into the program?
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. So like, obviously there is no like definitive way to know like, oh, hey, look, Jeff needs exactly this amount of sets or any needs this amount of sets. And like the way I like to go about it is getting the minimum effective dose. And so I usually program, you know, one to two hard sets to start off with. And those I'm going to make sure that you are training close or two failure and that's because that's kind of like the baseline for it. like you can do five billion sets but if you're like not doing enough um in enough of intensity you're not going to see any growth from that so i like to start from a minimum effective dose of like one to two sets and if progressive overload is occurring that means that the program is working they're seeing mm-hmm. those adaptations right. mm-hmm. is so that per they, exercise
1: or per muscle group per week uh
2: that's, that's per exercise
1: per exercise. Yeah. Okay.
2: And then for each muscle group, I'll usually choose like three to four exercises for that.
1: For that week or session
2: For that session. I like to prog- personally, I like to program one, one time per week and start with that. Cause again, we want to go for minimum effective dose. And so if we, if I find that they're not achieving progressive overload and, you know, we've looked into things like their recovery, their nutrition, Um, you know, how everything else is doing in their life in terms of like managing stress and all that, then I'll start adding uh, more sets. And then that could go along with like just periodizing as well, like throughout Mm -hmm. the mesocycle, like we increase the amount of volume that uh, they do.
1: By just adding a set here and there.
2: Yeah, yeah. Or incorporating like some other like intensifying techniques like rest, pause and drop sets and all that. Those are actually, um, I don't want to go too much into it, but those are like a little bit more like efficient ways to get, more of these like effective reps uh towards muscle growth without like having to necessarily add a whole entire set to that yeah one thing
1: i used to do was i used to apply a, a reps in reserve target per week and i would generally have a mesocycle and i've changed this now i'll come onto to that but i'd have a mesocycle run from like week one to week five and it would be like week one is like three reps in reserve and then two reps in reserve, two reps in reserve, all the way to like one rep in reserve in the final week, basically. And then take a deload, change up some of the exercises, add, change up the rep scheme, that kind of thing. Whereas now, first of all, I, I make it like I don't take a deload after week five. I extend that a little longer because I think that is more for my more serious trainees anyway. Um, So then instead of applying a reps in reserve per week, I do it on a per exercise basis. So then if it's like a back squat, it might be a little higher reps in reserve, for example, like three reps in reserve. And then if it's like a leg extension, it might be like one to zero reps in reserve instead of it being like all the same per exercise but different weeks it's like each week you're pushing the same amount each week but each exercise is a little different critique me
0: oh that's <laughs> that's a good strategy dude
2: yeah, yeah that's yeah i that's think, how it, I think that's a good well. yeah
0: that's how I, I think that's it. another good approach
2: yeah. too um like for for those of you who are listening who like don't understand like periodization, it's basically like when you control the program and have it progress like as you get deeper in the program, and this way like you can get a little bit more stimulus out of the program. But again, when we want to kind of talk about that stimulus to fatigue, like each amount of like stimulus you get is gonna come with a certain level of like fatigue. So uh, I'm trying to think about analogy of, for this off the top of my head, but like let's say for every, for, let's say you're taking out loans, like for every dollar, for every dollar you take out, there's going to be a certain amount of interest that comes with that. And then if we kind of relate that back to stimulus to fatigue for every like specific dollar amount of stimulus that you get out of doing an exercise at a given intensity and all that, you're going to get a certain level of interest that you're going to have to pay back eventually by deloading or recovering and all that. So uh, when you periodize, you like kind of ramp up the intensity over time. And like, that's a really good way to do it because the closer you train a failure, obviously you're going to get a lot of stimulus, like your like reps in reserve, your, your third rep in reserve versus your second rep in reserve versus your first and your uh, zero reps in reserve. Each of those reps are going to have a different stimulus that comes with it, but you also accrue a certain level of fatigue that you're going to have to recover from.
1: Yeah. yeah. So would you agree that it's it's probably a better way to do it? doing it per exercise as opposed to doing it just per week. And every exercise is the same. Does um, that make sense?
2: Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. Um, I'm going to say yes and no, because if you think about it, like every exercise does have a... Sorry, what, what was your question again?
1: So what I used to have was week one would be every single exercise you do in week one, you you are three reps away from failure. Mm -hmm. of course that's somewhat subjective yeah right then week two might be two reps away from failure but instead now i've started to go every week you're going to be like two to three reps away from failure on the back squat zero to one rep away from failure on the leg extension but your goal as a client is to just try and make incremental increases in either weight or reps. Don't worry. You can go outside of the rep range. That's fine. But Mm -hmm. your, your goal is to make incremental increases Mm -hmm. um, over time. So it's just the, the change up from it being reps in reserve applied to every single exercise, the same on a weekly basis, as opposed to it now being applied to the, exercise specifically
2: okay yeah so yeah i i 100 agree with your new approach uh because like as we kind of touched on earlier with the stimulus to fatigue ratio obviously a back squat's going to create a lot more fatigue of like depending on how you, hard hard you train versus like a leg extension so that that's a really good way to uh, go about it uh for those of you listening who might be coaching yourselves that this is like super advanced stuff that you should i think you should leave to a coach to do on or like if you do want to nerd out about this stuff you can start to implement it into your own training but uh yeah it, it can get like really complicated really fast as you can probably tell like <laughs> but that's yeah. that's actually a really good way to go about it because a leg extension is going to create more stimulus or it's going to have that higher stimulus to fatigue ratio because if you think about it a leg extension you're just frying your quads versus a back squat you got to tax your core, you got to tax your upper back you got to tax your legs and you got to like Tax your entire body and the central nervous system just stabilizing the weight so it's going to create a lot more fatigue because i used to like
1: i used to like go to failure on when when i programmed for myself like about a year ago i'd like go to failure on my last week of my mesocycle and i'd start off with back squats right <laughs> <laughs>
0: what are you a fucking psycho dude and so i would do like failure on back squats jesus christ
1: oh man dude i'm a complete failure so i worked (laughs) up to like three sets of complete failure on not complete failure but like pretty much technical failure on a back squat and um i did three sets of that and then i had to do bulgarian split squats oh my god and of course like okay i pr'd my back squat 10 rep but then my my Bulgarian split squats I was like done I was not able to even match what I did the previous week because <laughs> yeah. I was just it for obvious reasons yeah, yeah. you're like yeah. get me the fuck so, out of here yeah I, I was, done. I, was I,
0: done. I like the approach of programming intensity per exercise because obviously some exercises are safe to take to failure and some aren't and for, for newer trainees, which a lot of our coaching clients are going to be somewhere between new and intermediate, they don't understand what technical failure is. And they also probably don't understand what technical failure looks like or feels like. I know for me, I didn't know what technical failure was until I started actually filming myself doing the movement. When I started filming myself doing a back squat, and I started to see my technique and my form started to get sloppy around this weight and this many reps. Then I knew, okay, it's time for me to stop that exercise because that's that's technical failure. My technique started to slip. But on something like a hack squat, a leg press, something like that, obviously that RAR can be a lot lower. My intensity can be a lot higher. And you know it's, it's going to be beneficial for muscle growth. So I think it also depends on what your what your goal is. If your goal is strength and you're a powerlifting athlete, then I think that's more common to program an RIR RPE over the week, rather than if your goal is hypertrophy, I think having an intensity scale per exercise is, is a better idea because then you can take those high stimulus fa- to fatigue ratio exercises at the beginning of your program and keep them at a lower intensity or program them to technical failure, whereas the lower stimulus-to-fatigue ratio exercises, you can take them to failure. And I, I think that everyone should be learning how to take exercises to failure and learning what that actually feels like. Because most people don't even know what true failure actually is. And I think it takes a long time to actually figure out how to push yourself past that point of like rir one or two and really get into actual failure because it's it's a it's psychologically fucking taxing to t- yeah, to push is. yourself and be like mm-hmm. come on come on come on and grind out that last one or two reps it's insanely hard on on your body and uh yeah but the recovery is surprisingly not that bad depending on the exercise so yeah unless it's a back squat you shouldn't be, t- dude. Just the fact that you had, bul- like, back squats <laughs> to technical failure followed by Bulgarian split squats—that's, that's admirable, dude. That's like torturing yourself. Did you program that for yourself? Yeah. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> dude.
2: <laughs> and he was getting after it. Well, you know, as
1: well, like I, I just was. And I still only really have certain equipment. I don't have access to a regular gym yet. I think I will at some point join a regular gym because I want to start to incorporate a lot of this. I want to start to incorporate a lot of the stuff we've been talking about on this podcast really into my own training, play around with the stimulus to fatigue ratio, that kind of thing. But one thing that I wanted to mention there was like, even for someone that's been training as long as I have. And I've been like, I've done one rep maxes. I've done three rep maxes. I've been training. I've pushed myself to failure. Like I've been training a a long time with barbell exercises. And like, I would still try and apply the, the reps in reserve scheme throughout my mesocycle. And I'd be like, okay, three reps in reserve on the back squat today. Okay. I'll stop at like five reps, six reps, wherever it is. And then come the last week and it's like zero reps in reserve. And I can just keep going. And I can just grind it out. Yeah, it feels horrible. But it just goes to show that even someone that is pretty experienced doing this still is way off when it comes to assessing how far away from failure they are. Mm.
0: Um,
1: But I think it is important to I think it is important to uh, to play around with that. Maybe don't do it on the back squat but you know, for a safe exercise, like leg extension, I know we've been hammering that on this podcast, but, you know, think about just sitting down and extending your legs on a machine. You know, there's only so much that can go wrong, you know, just push yourself to failure. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a question that I have then uh, when it comes to this is like, okay, we want to be training as much as we can full range of motion as, as much as possible. Um, but when we're on the leg extension at at what point would we say okay that's that's failure when we can't fully extend at the knee would you say okay that's it i'm done there or would you at least try, try and would you go to the point where you literally can't extend your leg anymore
2: yeah so that's a that's a really good question and something that we could go way deep into but and and also like I think it overcomplicates it for a lot of people. For sure, uh, because but yeah, be, cuz I like, like to yeah, know as well. Yeah. Cuz like different different exercises Good question. Are, it yeah, the, like taking an exercise to failure is going to be different degrees for different exercises cuz it's like what yeah, what do you count for like how do you define failure and that's going to have a different definition for everyone and then because of that like let's say you do a fail on a leg extension you just keep doing partials. Technically you're still going past like failure and you're still getting a little bit of stimulus and that stimulus is affecting that muscle and affecting that body in different ways. So that is, I think that's something we could like just go down to like a really complicated deep rabbit hole about.
0: I, I, my personal opinion, and I may be totally wrong here, but when you can't get the weight back up for the entire rep, to me, that's failure. And you can still do like those intensifying techniques, like do partials until you absolutely can't get that weight up at all anymore and that's like that's obviously taking it to rpe 10 or RAR zero but like for me personally if i can't get the weight all the way back up that's failure that's that's what i consider failure anyways but i like to take i always like to take it a little bit one step further than that on something like leg extensions just because i know i can And Mm -hmm. it's a mental thing for me. I like to push myself mentally to like really just milk, milk those quads for everything they got, you know, that failure. Yeah, exactly. I like to just milk it, dude. Why not? How much of a
2: failure
1: can I be?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Fucking failure. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then I also do want to add, like, it depends on what you're trying to get out of the exercise as well. Because if we want to like just talk about the leg extension, the main part of it is targeting your quads in like its fully shortened position. So if you think about the leg extension and you extend your leg all the way up, that's where the exercise is going to be most effective for the quads. Mm -hmm. So if you're just doing these partials, like you're not targeting the quads in that position that you want, or maybe you do want to get those partials in in as a part of your programming, but. All of, all of that stuff has to be factored in and you have to it has to like depend on what you're trying to get out of that movement.
0: Yeah, and then it becomes a metric of how do you track that? How do you track yeah. partial reps right So that's when mm-hmm. it gets really complicated. So that's why I think yeah. like if somebody programs a set of ten, 10 leg extensions to failure, then it's that first one that you can't get all the way up. that's what you count. You know, that's that's what I that's what I would count anyways in a program, because if you're trying to count partials and stuff, I think it just gets too tricky with progressive overload to try and progress that exercise, because if you count those partials as, oh, this is this was a half rep. This was a quarter rep. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It just gets too fucking complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: kind of I know went a bit of a tangent, but back to your original question, I count failure as I can't complete another like full range of motion rep for
1: whatever good. movement that it is that I'm doing. Me too. So nice. you passed that one there, Austin.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a test. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well done. <laughs> um, and that's our hypertrophy correspondent, Austin Chan, on the scene. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Back to the studio.
0: <laughs> Back to you, Coach Tejas. Um, yeah, man, I really, really, really think this was a good episode. Really kind of dove into some nuanced topics with the stimulus to fatigue ratio and kind of training seven days per week and what that may look like, but also what I really learned a lot from and you guys had some really good insight on this was like how to assess how much volume someone might need, uh, which was a really really cool topic. I did not think we were going to get into today, but I like that uh, you know we're learning, we're growing, and we're teaching. And uh, yeah, man. So yeah, good episode, guys. Recomp for yeah, Life enjoy Podcast. That. Austin Chan Fitness, Jeff Packman Fitness, Coach Taters. Give us a follow on the gram. And uh, we're going to have a new episode for you guys next week whenever we – actually, we're going to release all these uh, first episodes in a sequence here so we can get all caught up, and then um, we'll have a new episode next week. So, yeah, appreciate you guys for listening. And now that we have a name, Recomp for Life Podcast, you guys can go give us a five-star review on on, uh, Apple Podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a review and uh, yeah, appreciate it. Thanks guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Boom. (laughs)